Thank you, Glenn. Okay, uh, we are uh, broadcasting to all of our locations. So, Clemson, will you help me put our hands together and welcome Myrtle Beach? Help me welcome Charleston. Help me welcome Columbia and Greenville. We're so glad that you guys are here with us tonight. Um, my name is Austin Duffy. I serve in Anderson as the Fuse Pastor and as the Rally Pastor. And uh, I've got an amazing wife. Her name is Natalia. She's here. And also, my baby girl is here tonight, but she's inside of my wife still. Um, she will be out in August ready to party. So uh, thank you for being here, lovely. And we're going to get going like straight away. We've been in this uh, time in, in Rally where we've been going through and talking about this phrase, the future is what? Now. The future is now. And there's so many ways that you can kind of cut that cookie, okay? There's so many different ways that you can look at that and what it means to you. And when I think about the future being now, I think about the kingdom of heaven, How many of you have heard about the kingdom of heaven? How many of you have sung songs about the kingdom of heaven? We've talked about bringing a kingdom. And uh, tonight what I aim to do is I want to unpack, I almost, the title of this talk, if you want one, is called like a practical theology of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I want to unpack what the kingdom of heaven is to you. And I want to show you how it changes everything in your life. I want to show you what it means to put Jesus as king and the implications of that. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump right in. You guys with me? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we look to you and we want to put you on the throne tonight. I'm sorry, you're already there. We want to recognize that you're on the throne tonight. And we thank you that that's who is on the seat in our hearts. And so we ask that from that place, would you speak to us, Lord? We're listening. We want your thing in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say amen. Thank you very much. So kingdom of heaven. We've talked about kingdom of heaven a lot. And where does this show up? I'm going to jump right in. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. This is actually uh, the, the, you know, the very beginning of the Gospels, right? And we've got this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many of you guys have heard that phrase before? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is who saying this? John the Baptist, okay? And then one chapter later, Matthew 4, verse 17, we've got Jesus. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the same message. This is the same thing, okay? Jesus and John the Baptist, they run in the circle together, and they've got this new message that's kind of going through the land, and it's this idea of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And before I can get into what that means for you, I want to help set the stage. I want to help you understand what the climate is like. You think that it's tense and crazy here in 2021? Let me tell you about about this time. Because about 30 years before this, when Jesus was born, Jesus was born in a town called what? Bethlehem. Okay. And in Bethlehem, there's a lot of stuff going on. And and there's actually a, a king in the land at that time named King Herod. Okay, Herod, we've got him up here. We've all heard the Christmas story before. We're gonna leave this up here. This guy looks like a straight villain, doesn't he? This is Herod. And history actually remembers him as Herod the Great. He was the Roman appointed king of Judea. Okay, so Judea is the region and Rome is the empire that is like over everything, everything. But they've got this guy, Herod the Great, set up. And you guys maybe remember from the Christmas story, Herod hears about Jesus. He hears about this baby that these shepherds are going after. And what's he want to do? He wants to kill him, right? So he doesn't succeed, obviously, but this is who's in charge of the whole region at the time. So Herod, history remembers him as Herod the Great, the Roman-appointed king of Judea. 
the richest man on the planet at the time was doing things that historians have no idea how he was able to do in that time. For example, he wanted to build a castle on a mountain, but there weren't any mountains, so he built a mountain. Okay? And maybe if you're an engineering at Clemson, maybe you've actually studied Herod because he, there were so many things that he was able to accomplish. One of his greatest castles that he built was called the Herodian, and he built it in this little town called Bethlehem. Okay? So I want you to know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, was born in the shadow of one of the greatest castles of one of the greatest empires of one of the greatest, most wealthy, powerful kings to ever live, to ever walk the earth, and his name was Herod. And Herod had his own things that he was about, and I want us to think about the reality of that, that our God comes on the scene, he puts flesh on his, on his eternal, forever Lord body, and comes down into our situation in the shadow of what all of the people on earth would be looking at what does a great king look like? What does a great kingdom look like? You would have thought of Herod and you would have thought of his palaces and you would have thought of what he does, all right? But God jumps right into that and where does he go? He goes into a manger, he goes into a barn. So I've actually got this, uh, this quote I'm gonna read in just one second, but when we say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent is that word metanoia, you've heard us teach it before probably, and all it means is change your mind. So when you hear this phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if I could translate it for you, it's like, change your mind about what matters in the world. The kingdom of God is here and it's coming. Change your mind about what you value, about what you see is important. You know why? Because the kingdom of God is here and there's more of it coming. So put your seatbelts on people because it's go time. And this is what Jesus and John the Baptist are preaching and this is their thing. And so God announces this message, but we've got to remember this backdrop. We've got to remember this King Herod that's in this land and that's ruling and it's got these great palaces. And this is what a Jewish people that are in Judea are occupied by Rome and they're experiencing the heat of Herod every single day. So I've got this long quote, but I want us to, to read it and I want you to lean into this with me. It's by a guy named Ray Vanderlyn. Okay, the subversive nature of God's plan is that he will send his son to be born in the shadow of the palace of the greatest man to walk on Roman soil. There are two kingdoms that are being put on display in Matthew's gospel. One king is the richest man to ever live. He constructs incredible buildings that stagger the mind and accomplishes incredible feats of human engineering. His ingenuity and his wealth are second to none. He builds mountains where there aren't any, pipes and waters to places that previously had never been reached. He corners the market on beauty and innovation. He is the most powerful human the world has ever seen. His life is decorated with silver and gold and the richest things. And another king is born into poverty, a poverty-stricken family from the rural town of Nazareth. He is born in sheep crap, surrounded by the ash of shepherd's fires and the feces of cattle. His birth is announced to the marginalized of society and his advent is celebrated by shepherds. One king is the leader of empire and the other is the king of shalom. And the king of shalom is the king of peace. That is the king of the kingdom of heaven. Right here at the start of the gospels, we have this juxtaposition. We have this message and we have this juxtaposition. This message, change your mind people because the kingdom of God is here and there's more of it coming. And that has implications for you and has implications for me. And to, to think about this appropriately, we have to see this context and know that God himself came into the world in a time where there was this great king in the land. And so when, the, when Jesus is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, all the Jewish people are like, oh baby, here we go, fire up the chariots. Because we're about to go to war with these suckers and we're going to win. 
Because all they understood about kingdom and about what a king looked like was a certain kind of power and a certain kind of might. And so all these, these, these Jewish people, all these Israelites are in this land thinking, okay, Jesus, if you're going to get us out with this kingdom of God, what, aren't, shouldn't you like take the sword and shouldn't you like do some magic tricks and like, let's take over, let's be in charge now. And, and actually, you know, most of them look at Jesus and they laugh and they say, this can't be our Messiah. This carpenter from Nazareth, we don't even know who his real daddy is. This is what our king was, this is how our king was received when he came into the world. And we can't let that be lost on us today. And how easy is it for us to sit here today and say, oh, these Israelites, how did they miss that? You know, how could you miss? It was Jesus right there and you thought, you know, he was just some scrub. But I have to ask the question, would we as Americans today have recognized who Jesus was? Or would we have quickly looked past him in hopes for a better Caesar or a better Herod or someone with real power to get us out of this mess? See, as Jesus makes this announcement of the kingdom, his words are loaded. There are now two kingdoms in their midst, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of empire. I'm gonna let you write that down if you're taking notes. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of empire. When Jesus announces this kingdom, he very much so is announcing it in the face of another one. And it's another one that has its day in history then, but I wanna let you know exists in many forms here today now. And that's why we've gotta understand that there's two kingdoms going on. A kingdom of empire and a kingdom of heaven. I'm gonna put these side by side really quick. Empire versus heaven. See, this kingdom of empire, this empire that right now we're talking about is represented by Herod and by the Roman occupation in Judea. It was about self-preservation, right? Herod's whole thing is preserve yourself, take care of you. If someone tries to, to hurt you, you hurt them worse. And you know what? The kingdom of Shalom, the kingdom of heaven, our King Jesus, you know what he was about? He was about self-sacrifice. He was about laying it down in the face of adversity. He was about sacrificing for those that didn't deserve it. See, the kingdom of empire was about trust and resource. Get money, get wealth, it will create your future. How, how, how many of you have heard that message before? Get money, get wealth, trust in what you have, trust in possessions. But see, the kingdom of heaven is all about trust in a relationship, a relationship with a heavenly father that owns a cattle on a thousand hills and owns the entire world and everything in it. And so I can say with confidence, I have exactly what I need and then some. That is the narrative of the kingdom of heaven. How about this? The kingdom of empire has power by force. It says, do what I want you to do or I can and will kill you. This was what Herod was all about. This is what Egypt was all about. This is what I could name more empires that have reigned in the world. This is what, I'll go there. Great Britain, Nazi Germany. I'll stop there. But there's been many, 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 many empires with great rulers that have taken this exact approach in, in, in not just in the West, but all over the world. And they say, uh, you do what I say because I can kill you if you don't. That's power of force. And you know what the, the kingdom is like? We have a power of invitation. Jesus says, come and follow me. Jesus doesn't twist anybody's arm. He shows what's better and he invites us into it. Do you see how different these kingdoms are? Do you see how different these kings are? It's so important that we, we recognize this. I love accents. Can anyone here do a good accent? I see a couple people nodding. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, uh, I don't know which one's about to come out of me. Uh, let's see, somebody shout a country at me. 
Irish. Don't you love a good accent? That was Scottish, actually. Uh, I've been always trying to, I've been trying to hone in my Australian accent because I'm really good friends with Josh Bull. He doesn't talk like this, but it's a very stereotypical Aussie accent. Okay, actually, I started to go to like New Zealand, South Africa. See, I can't really do it, but somebody do an accent. Say, I love a good accent, your best accent. To your neighbor, I know y'all got it. I see people not doing it. Give me an accent. I just put myself out on the line and did a terrible Australian accent and everyone's looking at me. I hope Myrtle Beach, you got accents. Oh, I keep, I can't do that. Okay. Do you guys know that, um, I've, I've had the uh, privilege of getting to travel a lot. Like Glenn said earlier, my wife is from Poland. So we spend, we spend some time going back and forth and we were there a couple weeks ago. And, and so do you guys know who the easiest kind of person to spot in an airport is? An American. Every single time you can see them from outer space if you want to. Okay. And what do you think are some of the things that would like make an American stand out? I'll go ahead and tell you all these big university themed sweaters. Okay, there's one. People don't do that anywhere else. New Balance sneakers. I don't ever see that anywhere else. Uh, you know what actually makes Americans stand out? You can read this online. It's like that they talk to strangers. It's very weird about us. We're, we're like very open with strangers and people find that odd. I think that's a pretty awesome thing to be known by. Um, but, we, but we know that uh, just like we can be spotted as being an American, we, I wonder if we can be spotted for a different country that we find citizenship in. And so I actually want to read right here Philippians uh, 3, verses uh, 2 through 21. Paul's writing and he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lonely body to be like his glorious body, but the pow- by the power that enables him even to subject, subject all things to himself. Point here. Paul saying, our citizenship is in heaven. So when Paul talks to us about finding our citizenship, I, I'm curious, uh, what are some things about Southern culture that, that stand out to you? You know, like maybe like mac and cheese, good manners, going to church. You guys know like things associated with Southern culture, different things come to your mind. And so I want to ask you the same question. What would be the things about the culture of the kingdom of heaven? What are the things that should be associated with somebody who's from the kingdom of heaven? Because Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. So what I want to encourage you to do tonight as we're talking about these two empires, these two things that are juxtaposed in our day and in Jesus's day, we've got to first find our citizenship actually in the kingdom of heaven. So my point is we must claim our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven as even more real than our citizenship in the kingdom of America. I am not here to throw stones at America. I love America. And when World Cup happens next year, I'm going to be red, white, and blue for six months in the run-up to it, okay? So I love this country. I love getting to live here. I lived all over the world. We're very blessed to get to live in this country. But what I want you to know is I stand here before you today as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, so much more than a citizen of the kingdom of America. Because my citizenship in heaven is an everlasting one. America will not be here one day. It won't. Heaven absolutely will be. And you know what? It already is. So what's more real to you? The passport, the flesh and blood of the place that you were born, or your spiritual reality that is now and forever and was set for you before you were ever born? What's going to be more real to you? So here we live in this weird tension, you know, because it seems like God, there's parts in the Bible where God says, you know, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And 
I, he who loves the world is I'm not in them. There's all these verses and things that make it seem like, you know, God, does God not like the world? Does God want to get us out of the world? You know, is there this plan that God's going to like snap his fingers and zap us all out when we do good enough? There's so many little lies that we've believed because we've been raised up in the South. But what I want you to know is John 3, 16, 17 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God has a plan for the world as to what? Save it. He gets really into this in 1 Corinthians 5. So we're gonna read a little chunk here. 1 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. This is life-changing stuff, okay? For the love of Christ controls us. This is Paul writing again to the Corinthians. He says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ, what? Reconciled us to him. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to come back to this in a second. That this That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and trusting us with this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. A lot of, lot of Bible there, but I want to get into this. There's one thing that really stands out to me. It's this idea of the ministry of reconciliation. We know that there's these two kingdoms at hand. And I'm wondering, we know that we, we, know that we which one we belong to first. And we'll get into that more in a second. But, but I think we all could say, okay, yeah, you know, we belong to the citizenship. Our citizenship is first in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? But what is the point? What is God doing? Because does God love the world or does he hate the world? I'm confused. And I just read you a lot of texts and it talks about how God's plan is to put the world back together. The ministry of reconciliation that he performed for you on your behalf is also the one that he's given to you to take into the world. This reconciliation that you've experienced is also your security. Can we put that up one more time? Ministry of reconciliation. If you only hear one thing I say tonight, Hear this, God is putting the world back together and he wants to use you to do it. His plans are good and they're restorative and, it's, and it is game on. That is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. He wants partners, not puppets. How many of you have ever felt like, you know, maybe God is like up there and I'm like a robot for God? Okay, this is a tension that we get to live in. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He knows exactly what's going on. But we can see through the entire course of Scripture and through personal experience in our life, God is looking for people who are willing to partner with him in the reconciliation of the earth. God is looking for kingdom citizens that are ready to proudly not be ashamed of the gospel and claim their citizenship, their rightful one, and act accordingly. And so he wants partners And so that's part of the invitation tonight is do we want to be partners with God in restoring the earth? We have a massive opportunity to do that, but we kind of get lulled into this narrative of empire 
We kind of get lulled into these ways of the world. And God has a better and more real and everlasting invitation for us tonight. 2 Corinthians 5.20, out of that passage we just read, says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is what it means for us to preach the gospel. We own this reality that we are ambassadors for Christ and God is using us to implore others, be reconciled to God. His ways are better. His ways are higher. Look at my life. You can see it. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what it is. It's a reconciliation that's happening in the earth because it's happened in me. So what is an ambassador? This is where we've got to hang out for one second. You guys know this word, but I want to give you a definition here. We know that it's an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representation to a foreign country. Have any, has anyone ever been to D.C. before and seen, like, where the uh, different embassies are? Have you ever been to a capital and seen, like, you know, these cool houses and you see, like, a flag of some country and you know, oh, that's the embassy. That's where the ambassador from X place lives. I'm actually going to use the ambassador from France to the United States as an example. I've got a picture of him up here. His name is Philippe Etienne. Everyone say Philippe Etienne. This is uh, Travis Etienne's uh, great uncle, actually, if you didn't know that. Got some laughs in Clemson. I don't know if that was relevant everywhere else. So Philip, he lives in where? If he's the ambassador of France to the United States. He lives in D.C. All right, he lives in the capital. That's where he does his work. And actually his house looks like this. I've got an amazing photo of it. That's a pretty cool house. Pretty cool. Not, not too bad of a gig. You, you're, you're leaving France, but you get to live in this place. And actually they have another headquarters too that looks like this. And it's got big like CIA vibes to me. Can you guys check that out? Yeah, pretty impressive. Okay, so if you are the ambassador of France to the United States, what do you think our boy Philippe does? He carries and represents the agenda of what country? France. Is he American or is he French? He's French. Where does he live? D.C. All right, here's the part of a Here's, a, here's the part of a picture. Do you see where I'm going with this? If we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, what country are we in right now? America. More specifically, what state are we in? South Carolina. What country do you belong to? The kingdom of heaven. And so are you a representation of that country into your city, into your school, into your family, into your workplace? See, uh, we've got this law that exists for ambassadors. It's the law of extraterritoriality. Write that word down. Leave it up for a second. Let's practice saying it. Extraterritoriality. This blew my mind when I figured out that if you are the French ambassador to the United States, that picture of the house that's in D.C. with the French flag on it, do you know what country you're in if you're standing in that building? France. Wait a second. I thought it was in D.C. no. Actually, because of this law, the things of the French ambassador, where he is, is actually his home country. He's actually not subject to the laws of this land at all. But he respects them and honors them and acts accordingly. But first and foremost, he answers to the French president. In the, in the, the, you know, for, uh, for an example, the king of France. He handles his or her agenda. And that's what an ambassador's job is. So did you know that if a French ambassador is in their car riding around in downtown D.C. with the little French flags on the side, what country are they in? 
France. Because even his vehicle is sanctioned by the United Nations as France. He actually can't go anywhere and it not be France. His shoes are France because he has this thing called diplomatic immunity. Everywhere he goes, he has been sanctioned by the world to say, we trust this guy to be in his country all the time. He is in a country within a country. So I got to ask you, ambassadors of Christ, what if you operated under the law of extraterritoriality? What if your house actually wasn't just in Clemson? What if your house wasn't actually just in Greenville? But what if it was in the kingdom of heaven? What if the places that your car drove was actually just a little microcosm of a different country, a country within a country that's culture stands out truly different from the one that it's in? One that would draw people to it because they would see the lives that we live and know that there is something different about us. When this happened, we know that heaven goes with you. Heaven goes with you. We talk about pursuing the presence of God. We talk about hosting it. We talk about bringing his kingdom. This is what it looks like. Because you may be thinking, you know, all this is well and good, but how does this make a difference in my class? How does this make a difference? I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to work. I'm trying to figure out how to make my girlfriend not mad at me. You know, all these like very real life things that we have. And this gives us such a picture because whatever space you walk up into, you got to walk up in it with a little bit of, you know, gusto because you are actually in the kingdom of heaven and you're its representation. So when we have that way in mind, we think, huh, how does someone in the kingdom of heaven behave? What is the culture of the kingdom of heaven? Does my life look like it's conformed to that? Do I bring that culture with me? Because if we are true ambassadors for Christ, if we operate under this law of extraterritoriality in the spirit, the places that we go will be transformed to the one true kingdom. But alas, we are in a world that is ravaged by the kingdom of empire, the kingdom that says might is the way forward, that says money is what matters, the one that says you take care of you. But we are not from that world we were born in it, but we are not of it. You are made with something different. You are made for eternity. And there is a world out there that God has a plan for. And what's his plan? He's putting it back together. And he's going to do this over time. And he's going to do it through you and I. So don't tell me that your life doesn't matter. Because you have this dizzying potential to change the world. And if you think you've got to start some big company that will be recognized all over and have X amount of followers, that's all a bunch of baloney. Now, that may be a part of your plan, but if you think that that's more significant than taking the kingdom of heaven into your classroom, preaching the gospel is not about just walking up in a place and saying, Jesus is Lord. It's about the way that we live. It's about the presence you carry. It's about what you take with you. Take heaven with you. Find your identity in your one and true kingdom and you will see these things change around you. How many of you have seen, how many of you have been impacted by somebody who carried the culture of the kingdom of heaven with them? And the more you were around them, you started to conform to that. See, actually in the ancient world, where this started, this word, they knew this word because the Romans, what they did when they were taking over all these new territories, they used to send these things called ambassadors into these territories to do what? To be and act and enforce the laws and the ways of Rome so that these places would become like Rome. 
Make sense? So someone from Rome is going into Judea and they're trying to make the place like Rome and that's what an ambassador's job was. Your job as an ambassador for Christ is to go up into whatever your space is and make it look like the kingdom of heaven. So we have to ask ourselves, what does that look like? What is the kingdom of heaven like? To reign with Christ as ambassadors as we are called to do, we must also die with him. Dying with Jesus is daily carrying your cross and embracing sacrifice that does not rightfully belong to you. I just gave us a couple examples of the two kingdoms that are at war in your life. And I told you which one you're from. I told you which one your citizenship can and should be found in. But there is another kingdom at play and it is oftentimes our default mode. One thing that I find really fascinating is that Herod the Great, okay, he was the guy who we talked about, we showed he was the slinky looking dude in the photo, yeah, and he like tried to kill Jesus, right, but he didn't succeed, did he? And then he has a son, his son is named Herod as well, Herod Antipas, okay, and uh, we heard that message right at the top, Matthew 3, Matthew 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, John the Baptist is saying this, Jesus is saying this, and this is kind of the whole thing, Herod doesn't, Herod the Great doesn't succeed, in any part of murder, but you know who eventually signs off on beheading John the Baptist is actually Herod Antipas, okay? The son of that Herod that we talked about right at the beginning is the one who helps execute the order of taking out John the Baptist. And even with Jesus, he's before this council, and we know there's a lot of history here. The Jews give him up, God ordains it, and ultimately Herod Antipas also has to sign off on the crucifixion of Jesus, So eventually, it seems for one moment like maybe the empire won. Maybe the kingdom of might and the kingdom of death and the kingdom of killing off the weak, maybe it won because they got John the Baptist and they got Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anyone who has ever gathered under the name of Herod the Great? Do you know of any churches in town that are all about Herod Antipas? Do you know anybody that's got tattoos for Herod the Great or is like, you know, a a Herod the Great freak? Like we say, we're Jesus freaks. You probably don't. You know why? His empire didn't last and it didn't win. Even in the face of death, death was actually the key to unlocking the eternity of our empire. See, Jesus knows this and so that's why he laid down his life. And so when Jesus takes up a cross, he goes, he goes through it with the joy set before him that you and I would be reconciled to him. And so it's happened. So even death can't stop us. Death is actually the key to get us into the forever thing. And so the Bible is very clear. Jesus dies on a cross so that he can invite you and I into one. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, would you lay down your life for other people? Would you submit to a kingdom that is not about might by money, but is about relationship with a heavenly father who owns it all? This is the entire message of Jesus. This is the entire message of the kingdom of heaven. See, when we become ambassadors of Jesus, we get his authority in the earth, but we also get his altar. When we become ambassadors of Christ and we own that, we get his power in the earth, but we also get his posture. See, if we want to actually change this world, if we want to actually make a difference in, in and around in all of our spaces, we have got to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven and we have got to bring that reconciliation into where we go. And how you live and what you host will do far more than what you say. And if you do both, you're really winning, okay? So I wanna ask us tonight, where, how are you doing with this? 
How am I doing with this? The last point here is recognize your citizenship and represent your country. I want to look out at a state full of people who have recognized their citizenship. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, first and foremost, and I will not bend the knee to empire. I will not bend the knee to the ways of this world. I will submit to my one true king and I will be conformed to his life. If you will let yourself be conformed to your king, that is how we actually carry out this kingdom into the world. That's how we actually are good ambassadors of this culture. We represent his heart by being conformed to him. So you get his power. You get his authority in the earth. You get that unshakable confidence. How do you get it? You also get his altar and you get his posture. And that is one of lowliness. That is one of servitude. That is one of sacrifice. That is one that says, hang me up on that cross for my neighbor. And you will see the world changed around you. But first and foremost, it'll change you in here. Can we be a group of young Americans who start to repent for these thinking patterns that we've had all of our life about how, what's greatness and how the world goes? And can we see the ways of Jesus and actually conform ourselves to his life and set him as king and see what that does in our world? So the invitation tonight is simple. I'm gonna invite everyone to stand. The band's about to play. Band, you can come out. We're gonna sing this song. And I wanna invite everyone to have a moment of recognizing your true country and about uh, getting some conviction about representing it. And so the invitation for all of us tonight, whether it's the first time for you and you've realized, I don't know this King Jesus, but I want him to be my king. I want to carry out his plans for the earth. I want to see the world change. I want to see it reconciled to God. Then would you tonight bow your knee to King Jesus and feel him lift you up into his arms? We do not have a king that rules the same way that we think rulers rule. We have one that is tender and that is loving and that has a lap for you to sit in. His lap is open for you tonight. But first, would we kneel? And if you're a believer in this room, if you've been following Jesus for a while, but you can look back and track on decisions you've made or situations you put yourself in, I don't want you even to make a decision out of that place. I want you to think about what's possible. Think about your school. Think about your team. Think about your class. Think about your family. Do you want to see it changed? Do you want to see something happen? And I'm not talking about tomorrow everybody you know, gets baptized and we break out 3,000 people. That's not how God does this stuff. God is not worried about time the way you and I are. He wants you to say yes today. He wants you to take that presence into that space tomorrow and trust the process, trust what he's doing in you and trust that if we all play our part, we are going to be a part of, here's the deal. God's reconciling this world whether we want to or not. He's made that very clear. The invitation for you tonight, get in line with it because it is a much better life. It is so fulfilling. It's so fantastic. And the invitation is always right back. No matter what you go through, no matter what you've done, bow the knee to King Jesus. Submit to his authority, get his altar, and get that freedom. Get this goodness in your life. So as we sing, I want to invite the whole room, bow your knee to King Jesus. Come down front to the altar. Make your way to aisles, whatever it is. But let's get on a knee and say, Jesus is Lord of my life. He's Lord of this earth. He's putting it back together and I'm about his plans. So I take this presence with me everywhere I go, no matter what it takes, because I believe that I will see this world change and I'm going to get involved with it. I'm not gonna waste one more second of my life 
submitting to a kingdom of empire that will not last. I will submit and bow my knee to a true king and I will go in the way that is everlasting. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing, let's respond and bow a knee to the one true king. Father, we bow a knee to you and we ask simply this, would you show us our peace in seeing this world put back together? We love this world just like you do. We love the people you've let us know. We love our schools. We love our workplaces. We love our families. Thank you for the way you've been putting them back together. Would you do more of it in us? Would you start in our hearts? We submit to you and you alone tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.